Hey, it's good to be with you. My name's Drew. I'm, I'm also one of the pastors here along with Alex and along with Ben Lacey. And if you're a guest with us, thank you so much for choosing to come and spend this morning with us. As Alex said, here at Redemption, our mission, really it's in three parts, but it's one thing that we would enjoy Jesus, which is why we're gathered here today, that we're going to sing about who God is, that we're going to give him praise, that we're also going to open up his word, that we're going to reflect on that, we're going to be reminded of the grace of the gospel, that we would, out of that enjoyment, love people, as Alex shared, in a lot of different ways going on in and around the church, and that ultimately where we come to an end point, or where, where, where the goal is, I guess, if, if, that's, if that's a good word to use, is we want to see disciples made. We want to make disciples. We want to see people come into a relationship with Jesus and growing in a relationship with Jesus. And so if you're a guest, thanks so much for being here with us. We would love to connect with you. We'd love to share with you more about what God's doing in and around the church, how you can get connected. Also, if you're a guest, for the past two weeks, we've been in the book of Galatians. We opened up this book that we're going to spend about 13 weeks in, and what we've seen so far is really one simple thing, and that's really the main point of this entire, this entire book, is really around one simple thing, and that's the gospel of Jesus, that Paul has been fighting for and defending the gospel, the true gospel. But the reason that he writes this letter is because there's been opposition. There have been false teachers who have infiltrated and invaded this church, these churches in Galatia that Paul planted, and they've been spreading these lies that Paul was a second-rate apostle, or maybe not even apostle, that he really doesn't have authority to preach the gospel, and his gospel was man-made. It was second-rate too. And so Paul writes this letter to defend this and to say, hey, 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 this isn't the case. Church, you're being persuaded to go down this path, and this is not what Jesus has for you. And so Paul starts his letter, as we saw the past two weeks as we went through chapter one, he starts his letter by defending the truth of the gospel, specifically this, that the gospel is not Jesus plus something else, that the gospel is not Jesus plus the law of Moses. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. It's not Jesus plus festivals. It's not Jesus plus anything. And he wants to make sure that this church understands the truth. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel that Paul is committed his life to. This is the same gospel that Paul will eventually give his life for. He's a man committed and he's a man who loves the church because Jesus has loved him because Jesus has shown him the truth, because Jesus has absolutely turned around his life. That's why Paul is so passionate about this gospel, that he goes from one who was trying to shut down churches and murder Christians to one who was planting churches and wants to see the gospel go far and wide. And so for some people, they're kind of a little unsure about Paul. It's like, whoa, 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 the, the one who is terrorizing the churches now planting churches? And it's like, yeah, yeah, Jesus got a hold of him. And that's what happens when Jesus gets a hold of us. He changes us from the inside out. And so as, as Paul's preaching this and he's seeing this false message in the churches, it pains Paul to see these people who, he's, who he loves confused, divided, and buying into the lie that Jesus alone isn't enough. Just as it pains God to see that same thing happen throughout our world, all around us, and even in our own church. The people would buy into a belief that there's something more, there's something better, there's something else I need. But the reality is that all of these false gospels, anything that goes beyond just Jesus, it enslaves our minds and our hearts where Jesus wants to offer freedom. 
is what Paul's fighting for, and this is what, even as we look at this passage today in Galatians 2, we as Christians and as a church have to fight for. That we have to be united in. Because there's only one gospel that can save people and that can change lives, and that's the gospel of Jesus. And so a question for us today, as we open up this passage, for all of us to think about is this. Is my life united with the message and the mission of the gospel? Not a complicated question, but an incredibly important question. Because if it's not, it means it's united with something else. And and spoiler alert, something else doesn't lead to life, it leads to death. But we have a God who deeply cares about us and he shows us his truth and he makes it incredibly clear for us. So here's where we're going to pick up Galatians 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. There's also a red Bible in front of you. And then we also have the passage up here on the screen so you can follow along. So let's pick up in in verse 1. And then we'll kind of look back just for a second and see where we're coming from. Here's what it says in verse 1, Galatians 2. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So this then means we probably need to just take a brief step backwards and say, okay, then from what? Well, here's what we heard last week from Alex. We heard all about Paul's conversion, that he was completely changed, how God radically changed his entire life, how God radically changed his motives, how God radically changed his heart, how God radically just, if you wouldn't even recognize Paul anymore. You know, have you ever had somebody that you knew maybe for a long time, and then you haven't seen him in a while, and then you see him again, you're like, I don't even recognize you, like you're completely different. That's exactly what happens with Paul. He's completely changed because he encounters Jesus. And you can't encounter Jesus, you can't have a relationship with Jesus without being changed. It's just not possible. And so Paul's converted, and he's following after God, and he's, he's, he's listening to what God has to say, and Paul shares what he did. He shares where he went. He shares exactly all these details so the church would know. He says, um, in chapter 1, I went to Samaria and Damascus for three years, and then I visited Peter, the apostle, for two weeks, and then I spent time in Syria, uh, Cilicia, But he hadn't spent time with the other apostles. He hadn't spent time with the other Jewish churches. But his reputation was spreading. People were hearing about him. Paul was specifically planning churches to the Gentiles, meaning the non-Jewish. And so Paul's doing this, and he says, Hey, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus with me. And so these false teachers, here's what happens. These Judaizers, as the gospel calls them, They claim to represent, and this is important, they claim to represent the apostles in Jerusalem. So they were like, hey, we're representing the apostles in Jerusalem. Here's the true gospel. And they were teaching that the new Gentile Christians, or those who wanted to become Christians who weren't Jewish, needed to first be circumcised before they could become Christians. That this was part of it. You have to go through this really rite of passage. You need to be circumcised. Holding to the law of Moses. And we see this really clearly in Acts 15.1. Here's what it says. It says, But some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Now this is a bit of an issue, especially for Paul, because this gospel doesn't square up with Paul's gospel that he's been preaching for the past 17 or 18 years. Paul hasn't been telling these Gentiles that they need to be circumcised, otherwise they can't be saved. That's not his message at all. And so you can see where this would bring about great confusion in the church, being like, hey, seems like if these guys are representing the apostles in Jerusalem, and Paul, you told us this, do we have two different apostles with equal authority but preaching two different gospels? You can see the danger in this. 
this division that this false gospel comes in. And so, after that 17 or 18 years of doing ministry, Paul goes to Jerusalem, the center of the controversy, because the gospel is being attacked. And he goes with Barnabas, who's with Paul a lot in his journeys. And he's a Jewish circumcised Christian. But Paul also says that he takes Titus. Here's the thing about Titus. Titus is a Greek uncircumcised Christian. Now, if somebody wasn't going to be super stoked about taking this trip with Paul to Jerusalem to defend the gospel, it would be Titus. Um, Because if anything weird happened in Jerusalem, Titus would need to be circumcised. So Titus probably wasn't super excited about this. But Titus goes along with him, and Paul probably even brought Titus as sort of a, a case study, as a test. Hey, here's Titus. He's a Christian. He believes in Jesus, but he's not circumcised. Is he okay? So here's what it says as it goes on. He says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, Paul says he goes up because of a revelation. Now, we don't know much about this revelation. We're not, we're not sure exactly what it was, but God spoke to Paul And so he goes up here, and he meets with these leaders in the church. He meets with these apostles, James, John, Peter, and he calls this meeting. Now, it's important to understand this. The apostles didn't call Paul up to question him. Paul calls, really, this meeting. He comes up, he takes the initiative, and he says, hey, I want to present something before you. Here's what I've been preaching to the Gentiles over the past, like, 18 years. Now, I want to bring this up before you. And here's what's amazing. Here's what I love about this. Is that Paul, who was an incredibly prideful man prior to Jesus, shows incredible humility here. In the first chapter, Paul clearly says, hey, my authority is from, is from Jesus, ultimately. Jesus has called me to be apostle. Jesus has given me the truth of the gospel. But Paul humbles himself even to these men, this community of men, these other apostles, James, John, and Peter calls me and he presents this gospel to them. This is pretty amazing. He shows really that he cares less about his ego and he cares more about the truth. And this can be difficult for us. Sometimes we care so much about our ego or we can become so selfish and we can become so proud that we aren't willing to have anyone else speak into our life truth. We don't want to hear it. We can become easily hardened. We can believe that we know everything I know best and I don't want you to speak in. When you see me buy into something or when you see me fall into sin or when you see me start to make decisions and choices that really don't align with what I claim to believe, I don't want you to say anything because who are you to say anything? And we can become proud. Really, the gospel requires humility. First and foremost to Jesus, but also humility even with brothers and sisters around us who really care for us and love us. Or we can swing to the other end where we rely so much on those around us that what we believe is, is, is pretty flimsy. And it goes all over the place because we care more about being liked and being included and being accepted. And so we're willing to kind of believe whatever the belief of the day is as long as it means that other people accept me. And these are the dangers. And so Paul, he humbles himself and he says this. He says, hey, I care so much about this truth because there's a high risk if I'm not believing in the truth. And here's the risk. He says, I don't want to run in vain. This is a big thing. This is one of the biggest fears that I have in my own life is that I would run in vain. 
is that I would live my life for something other than what God has really called me to live my life for, that I would invest in things that have no real value, that I would spend my hours and my time on things that, that really don't matter that much. It's my greatest fear for us that you wouldn't run in vain, that you wouldn't live your life for a false gospel, that you wouldn't live your life for something else other than Jesus, that you wouldn't pour your life out. And Paul deeply cares about this. And so he's willing to place himself in a position of humility. This is the great thing about Christian community. This is why you need Christian community around you. If you're a Christian today, you need this. So that if you hear something, or you start to believe something, or you have a question about something, especially when it relates to the Bible, especially when it relates to God, especially when it relates to the gospel, that you have people in your life that you can ask those questions of. You have people in your life that you give permission to speak into your life to speak truth back to you so that you don't get completely misaligned and run into a ditch so that even more importantly you don't lose your soul it's a pretty big deal and so paul he comes to these men and he says hey here's the gospel i've been preaching i want to make sure that i was not running or had not run in vain the truth is the most important thing here's what happens it says in verse three but even titus who was with me Titus, not circumcised, claiming to be a Christian, Gentile, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. The most relieved person in Jerusalem that day was Titus, right? Because the implications of these three saying, no, 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 Paul, you got it wrong. If I was Titus, I'd be looking for a back door. Get me out of here. Titus is probably super relieved, all right? He's good. Paul says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. Paul brings up these false teachers. They weren't about unifying the truth of the gospel. They were absolutely about dividing. He brings up these false teachers, which he calls brothers, which is a little bit scary because these were men who were in the church that were claiming Christ that they wanted to add rules and regulations on top of Jesus. It's what we would really call legalism. This whole idea of, hey, here's what else you need to do, or here's something you need to do, that doesn't come from the Bible. And that's what they were doing. They were adding this on top of Jesus, this idea that everyone needs to be circumcised out of their own selfish, exclusive view of the gospel. And as Tim Keller says here, which is great, they're teaching that not all Jewish people are Christians, but all Christians must become Jewish very exclusive. And to believe this false gospel, as Keller goes on to say, is this, it would mean far too much emphasis on external cultural separation rather than on internal distinctiveness of spirit, motive, outlook, and perspective. Elevating cultural propriety to the level of spiritual virtue leads Christians to a slavish emphasis on being culturally nice and proper as well as promoting intolerant and prejudiced attitudes. They wanted to raise culture up to this level that it absolutely should not be equal with the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. We need to be really careful of that because there's massive implications to it, as we see here. Massive implications. Paul says that this type of belief, it's enslaving it's like a master who says, hey, if you just work a little bit harder, you'll be free. If you just work a little bit harder, if you just do a little bit more. And 
then the next day, am I free? No, 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 you need to work a little bit harder. You need to do a little bit more. The next day, am I free? No, you also need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to look this way, and you need to, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. It's, it's enslaving. It won't set you free. Instead, it traps you. These beliefs that there's something more other than Jesus, and what Paul says, what Paul says is this, is that becoming a Christian, it means to be free. Becoming a Christian means this. It means that the law is no longer something we need to live under, but instead it shows us our guilt that we do have sin, that without Jesus we're absolutely hopeless, that without Jesus we can't have new life, that without Jesus we're still guilty. It shows us our guilt and it leads us to a place of repentance where we can come to Christ and we can say, I realize that I've got all this sin, everything that I've done, God, that it's been against you, that you're holy that there's no reason why you should want to have a relationship with me, but I repent of these things. Would you save me by your grace because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection? This is what Jesus did on the cross, that he literally took on our sin. He bled. His body was broken so that we would no longer be guilty, but so that we could have new life. And how horrible that we would try to add anything to that or that somebody would try to add anything to that. Jesus already took, completely took the payment. And that's what Paul's trying to get across here, is that when we repent, it leads us to live under Christ instead of under the law because Jesus completely fulfilled the law. And so obedience to the Father is what Jesus was, and he took our place. And here's what he shows us. He shows us grace. And so this is the message of the gospel that we have to be united in as a church that it's grace through faith in Jesus, and that's it. It's grace and faith through Jesus. That's it. And to who? To who does this grace go to? To anyone and everyone who will repent and believe. At the cross, there's no partiality. When we talk about loving people, it means that we love all people. Not a certain type of people, just people. Then when we talk about making disciples here as a church, we can't just talk about making white disciples or making black disciples or making Asian disciples. We're talking about all people of all different races, of all different educations. We're talking about anyone and everyone because anyone and everyone has been created in the image and likeness of God. So anyone and everyone has worth. This gospel, the true gospel, is available to absolutely anyone that would receive it. To anyone who would bend their knee to the cross and say, Jesus, I need you. It's available to anyone. This is the truth of the gospel. All people. The gospel says all cultures, all people are saved by faith in Christ. This is what Romans 10, 13 says, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's what I want us to see. That a gospel that isn't available to everyone shouldn't be a gospel for anyone. If your gospel is too exclusive and it takes more than just Jesus to get there, don't allow that to be your gospel. Because that's not the true gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus. That's not a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of works. And it's enslaving. And it'll never let you go. These false teachers, here's what they said. This whole idea of circumcision. These false teachers, here's what they were preaching. Here was their gospel. Get clean first, and then come to Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. Come to me as you are, and I'll make you clean. And we need to be really careful that as a church, we don't by accident preach this false gospel of get clean first. A preacher said it the other day, I just saw it, and it's so true. He says, 
before you can clean the fish, you need to catch the fish. Sometimes we expect godliness from those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, and it's absolutely ridiculous. Sometimes we forget about this whole idea of sanctification, meaning that when you come to Christ, Jesus is still working on you. The Holy Spirit's still working on you. And so we need to be really careful not to accidentally even enslave people and say, well, you have to look a certain way. You have to do a certain thing. Here's what you need to do. Here's here's everything that you need to do in order to become a Christian. No, that's not the case. To become a Christian, you need Jesus, and he'll take you as you are, and he'll give you grace as you are, and he will start to make you more like him. And that happens through all of life. So we've got to be careful to not see people as we, in their necessarily their glorified state, but to realize that Jesus is taking people as they are, that this gospel is available to anyone who will receive it. He says this in verse 5, to them who did not yield, to them we did not yield in submission, so these false teachers, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Here comes the mission of the gospel. Is the gospel for you? Absolutely. Is the gospel just for you? No. It's not. It's not. Uh, We had newly married uh, couples over um, last month, and we were sitting around the table, and we were eating dinner, and we were asking a couple questions, and one of the questions was, what's one thing you've learned about yourself that you didn't know before um, before you got married? What's one thing you've you've learned about yourself? And uh, overwhelmingly, I think the response was mainly, man, I realize how selfish I am. I'm like, that's true. Absolutely. In marriage, you can easily start to, when you enter in, you, you don't realize just how much you care about you, about what you can get, about your ideas, about what, what, what's, what's fun to you, what you want to do, what you want to spend your time on, what you want to spend your money on. And we can do that exact same thing with the gospel. We can make it so small that it's just about Jesus and me. It's just about Jesus and me. It's just about what I can get. I don't really care about anybody. What can you give me, Jesus? What can your church give me? What can you do for me? And here's the deal. Jesus didn't just, when Jesus saved you, he didn't just save you. He also saved you and he wants to do a work through you for the good of those around you. That his gospel would go wider than just your life. And this is so important because we can end up living this exclusive, I'm going to be isolated and I'm going to do my thing with Jesus and, and don't ask me about my thing with Jesus and, 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 and you do your thing when it's like, no, 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 the gospel, man, it, it humbles us and it gives us eyes to see a bigger picture of the world around us and the people around us. That God's doing something all around you. When you stand, think about this, when you stand, and I want you to see this, when he says, that, that Paul, man, he loved his relationship with Jesus, but even what he says here is they, they didn't yield and submit to these false teachers for a moment so that they might preserve the gospel for you. Paul's thinking about others, even in his fight for the gospel. You ever thought about that? When you stand for the truth of the gospel, this gospel of grace, you're not just doing it for yourself. If you're married in here, sometimes you're going to need to stand for the gospel for your spouse. Sometimes your spouse is going to struggle and wrestle with the truth, and you're going to need to stand for the gospel so that they can stand in the truth of the gospel, so that they can rehear about grace. If you're a parent in here, you're not just standing for the gospel when you stand for it, you're standing for the gospel for your children so that they would hear about grace, so that they would see a life lived out by grace. In your community, you're not just standing for yourself. When you stand for the gospel, it's for everybody around you in that community. That when you're growing, others around you should be growing. And that when you struggle, others around you can encourage you with that truth so that you can refocus on Jesus. 
the mission of the gospel is not just me-centered. And if we've got this meism in our heart and we really aren't concerned with those around us, chances are we haven't fully understood the gospel of grace. And we haven't understood the mission of this gospel. Paul says, and for those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. By the way, Paul's not being rude here. He's not saying like, ah, James, John, Peter, whatever. I don't really care. I just found three guys and I showed them the gospel. I I really don't care. He's not saying that, but what he's doing is he's affirming ultimate authority is in Jesus. He's saying, once again, everybody, church, what unites us is Jesus. He finishes by saying, those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. They didn't add anything to the gospel. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, and for who he worked through Peter and his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also uh, through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Paul wants to make it incredibly clear to this church, he didn't get the gospel from the apostles, it's the same gospel as the apostles. There's unity, there's unity, and unity and alignment is incredibly important. I can tell you this because I knew nothing about alignment uh, when I had my first, bought my first car. And one day on the highway, I guess my car was really badly aligned, and when I slammed on the brakes, uh, my car started to just incredibly veer to the right, and I almost flew off the road. And then I got taught by a mechanic about how important it is to have your car aligned. Here's the deal, though. Alignment in the church and alignment around the gospel is critically important because if we don't have it, we're going to be divided. We're also going to probably be divisive with one another, and we're going to ultimately end off in a ditch. Paul's saying, hey, you need to understand there's unity here. The apostles were on the same page here. We all agree to this gospel of grace, not a gospel of Jesus plus the law. So church, don't buy into this. Stand firm in your freedom, which Jesus offers you. What we see here is we see the same message. We see the same mission that the gospel go out to the people, and we see it go out to all sorts of different people. This is what's beautiful here, is that Peter's ministering to Jewish people, and Paul's ministering to Gentiles, And it's a great reflection of the kingdom of God, that when we're a part of the kingdom, what we're going to see is that there are people from all over the place of different races, cultures, backgrounds, all unified, all brought together under the cross of Jesus. And so Peter goes off, and some of the apostles go off here, and Paul goes off over here, and this is amazing, and it's beautiful. Because Jesus has fulfilled the law, it means we have access to the gospel of grace. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do this or that or check off this list. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And here's the thing. There are people in your life right now that Jesus can, and we're praying, absolutely saves. People who have bought into some other gospel and need to hear the truth of this gospel. All sorts of different people. Don't discount any one of them. Today, it might be a person you just meet at the grocery store as you're grabbing groceries for the week. It might be. It might be a person that you've been building a relationship up at a, at a, at a coffee shop. It might be a neighbor that Jesus wants to bring the gospel to through you. 
It might be a coworker. It might be a homeless person on the side of the street today. It might be anyone. Here's the truth. Because the gospel is available to everyone, it means that we should be eager to share it with everyone. That we don't dismiss anyone. That when we go out into our neighborhoods today, it's a beautiful thing as the church spreads, that the church doesn't just end, but we're actually taking the gospel with us all over the place, just as these apostles were doing and planting these churches and spreading the gospel. This is why it's so awesome and we get so excited about even the thought of the Scherenbergs being in South Asia, spreading the gospel there. That Nora's in France, spreading the gospel there. That we can be excited and united in this because we're a part of something called the kingdom of God under one gospel truth, a gospel of grace. This ends in an interesting way. Did you notice this last verse? It says, only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Now, some believe that the churches that Paul was planting to the Gentiles, they were better off. They had more money. And some of, the, some of the Jewish churches that the other apostles were planting that Peter was ministering to, they had less. And so maybe this is a, hey, hey, Paul, just make sure that you help out those in need. You know, make sure you don't forget about those who are in need, which is something that we need to be really mindful of and that we have to absolutely do, that we wouldn't have our eyes closed to anyone, as I just said, but that we would have our eyes open to anyone and everyone around us. That we wouldn't just give our time to those who look like us and are in the same place as us in life, that, that we would be willing to give our lives to, to anyone and everyone. That we would show no partiality because Jesus doesn't show partiality. But it's really interesting. Why end with this meeting with remember the poor? That seems like an interesting thing. And here's what we see here, though, is that because this is who the gospel's for. Have you thought about that? The gospel's for the poor. It's not for the rich. It's not for the rule followers. It's not for the culturally clean. It's for those who realize how poor they are. That we had absolutely nothing to offer God. Completely bankrupt by sin, yet by His grace, He sent us Jesus so that those who were poor could become rich in Christ so that those who were slaves could become free. The true gospel that we see here, the true gospel, it's a message of hope and freedom. Freedom from our sin, freedom from trying to earn God's love, freedom from prejudice, and it frees us to start seeing past ourselves to others who need the gospel in their lives as well. This is the gospel that as a church and as Christians we have to unite around. This is the gospel that we take into the neighborhoods this week. Powerful enough to change any life any life. It's a message of freedom and a mission of grace through Jesus alone.